Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, I was looking at uh, um, Random Forest Regressor, and uh, there's both the Random Forest Regressor and Classifier, just like there's Logistic Regression, Regressor, and, uh, and Classifier. Um, what I noticed is that uh, that the uh, I used the KC housing data and uh, it's Kansas City housing and uh, just use a small sample of data there and um, did my train test split so I, I separate my training and test valid uh, test data and then fit it and did the regressor uh, predict prediction and um, and then I wanted to see how it did in terms of its predictions and so uh, it's getting a pretty good uh, mean absolute error so it was pretty low it's like nine it's looking good that way and uh, So you can calculate you can calculate your accuracy, precision, and recall, um, and that's all all done from um, figuring out what your true positives are, true uh, true negatives, false positives, and false negatives, and uh, and you just put them into three different equations, and you can calculate accuracy precision and recall and the, uh, those are important because there's a there's always a cost to your machine learning algorithm and I'm talking about a business cost if you uh, if you have low precision then you could end up in lawsuits especially if you know it misses uh, something that's maybe life-threatening and so you want to have high precision. Uh, you can you can tr you can tolerate false negatives. Uh, those are just mistakes, and then you know uh, they're disproven, and then you're uh, you're you're back in your business. But you want to keep your false positives low so that that will if you have a low false positive then you're going to have good precision and then recall is where you're weighing in the false negatives and um, and so that's where you know it's it's uh, it's not it's not identifying the new um, the new data it's not generalizing so you have two scenarios with your data that you have to deal with. One is overfitting, and um, that's where it's not really generalizing to the observed patterns. It's not discovering the patterns in the data. Uh, and, uh, and then you can have underfitting where you have a bias, and it's, uh, so where you, where you want to be is somewhere where you've got the data, let's say it's in a, in a parabolic shape. Uh, well, actually, excuse me, I said that wrong. 
Overfitting is where you're paying too much attention to noise. So the, the, your curve is uh, picking up the noise in the system. And so it's not doing very good for gen with generalized data. And underfitting is where it's not recognizing all the patterns. In the case where it's drawing a straight line through a data set when it's actually um, quadratic and it's not fitting to all the points properly. So it wants to, and those are called second order functions. You can use uh, ordinary least squared and you can then uh, use uh, squared functions in your Taylor series uh, in the ordinary least square equation to uh, create a curve fit through your data. And that's going to give you a more accurate uh, prediction of your data. And if you're, so you, you want to compare then uh, your train data accuracy and your test data accuracy. And when they're pretty close to each other, it means you got pretty good generalization that's going on. Well, so in looking at the KC housing data, what will seem to really strike me is, you know, is uh, two things in real estate they say affect price, location, and square foot. So I, I wanted to analyze that to see if that correlation was true based on the predictions. And so I fed the features into the, into the model and uh, took a look at uh, the predictive capability and, it, and square foot did affect price. So that was pretty good. And uh, square foot of the lot also affected the price. And they looked fairly similar. So you have a large house with a large property size, you're going to have to pay more uh, more for that home than you would for a large home with a small property size. And that, and that, those things factor in. They kind of make sense because when you do, when you have land, you have fences, you have maybe sheds on the uh, land, you have grass, you have pasture, you may have animals. Uh, and also because of that, the, the land values uh, cause the, the house price to go up. Now, the other thing is the relationship to price to zip code. And so I did notice that there was some clustering that was occurring <clears throat> based on the price and location. But it did kind of look uniform. In other words, it just kind of like uh, polarized to those certain zip codes along the certain line, uh, which would make sense. So you have a zip code, and then you're gonna have a set of houses in that zip code, and they're gonna be of various prices. So it's going to be kind of a vertical lines going across your graph if you're using a scatter plot. So what I was thinking about was that's probably the wrong graph to use to discover uh, how price is affected by zip code. And um, I'm thinking about using a KD density plot where it will then show me the density per zip code as it relates to price. And then so as uh, 
I would be able to identify zip codes where the price is, is high. And that give you kind of an idea where the nice neighborhoods are. Uh, in Idaho, <clears throat> some of those nice neighborhoods are in Meridian and Eagle. They've got the big schools. They've got the uh, big properties, expensive homes. A lot of the homes are uh, well over 600000 In fact, when I was building my home, I think uh, I looked at a couple of Eagle houses, and at the time I was building my home, it was about 250, and their homes were in the 670 range. And um, I, I, when I looked at the Fed, uh, New York Fed banks debt to income ratios for Idaho, I was surprised that it's it's high. And I think the reason why is because. Uh, there's so many Californians and Washington people are moving into Idaho that they're bringing you know, lots of money and uh, they're buying homes and because of the demand the price on homes has increased and so the cost of the homes are are very expensive about $200 plus a square foot but actually I'd say about 220 maybe 220 a square foot and that is phenomenal considering that when I was building my home, and it's probably about 20 years ago, or 15 years, uh, 15, 16, 17, about 17 years ago, uh, housing price was about 120 a square foot. So quite a bit more expensive, and you can see the effect of inflation on housing price cost and per square foot. Uh, so square footage does matter for the cost of your, of your home and location seems to matter. Um, also, the number of be bedrooms, well, that would probably factor into, and uh, bathrooms. When I was looking for another home, I wanted a little bit more property uh, because I know that property increases your value of your home. Uh, that uh, I was talking to my wife and she said, well, the, the thing that, I, that she wanted was two, ba two baths, had to have two baths. And our current home has two baths and that's why we bought it, is it had two bathrooms. And we didn't want a lot of uh, square footage. We wanted, uh, uh, we wanted a smaller home because we're getting older and kind of wanted to downsize and have a small yard for maintenance and I've actually wanted to convert a lot of my yard to rock because I'm I, I want to just come in really quick and mow my lawn like within five minutes and be done and uh, and so rock was my strategy and um, it's worked out really good I have, I've liked where I put the rock uh, dogs don't get muddy feet. Last year they had a lot of mud on their feet. We got to constantly cleaning their feet off. And so my solution was is to put a nice line of rock there and uh, and then uh, uh, use pavers to set a border on it. And I'm going to do the same thing out front. I have rock out front, but I'm going to use pavers to uh, set a boundary. And then I use these plastic uh, dividers that uh, block the rock from flowing over the pavers and um, and then I'm going to uh, uh, 
put bigger rocks on top of the smaller rock, which I, I mean, when I say bigger rock, it's like these flat rocks that you carry. They're probably about, you know, maybe two feet by a foot or so. Nice, pretty rocks. I like the moon color rock and uh, just put that on top of those rocks. So it creates a nice boundary and uh, lowers my maintenance on that section of the house. Because our HOA every once in a while will uh, complain that the grass is getting too high on the fence. So it really ticked me off. And so I put the rock there as my counter rebuttal. But now I want to put a boundary on it to make maintenance of it simpler. And and you, you're always wanting, it's kind of always with yard work, you're always, you know, trading off maintenance versus aesthetics. And I, one thing I like about rock is that it looks good. I got these nice large river rocks they're they're called snake river river rocks they're pretty big round pretty rocks and i put those around my trees and uh looks great love them okay so going back to real estate um so square footage and location do matter very important for your valuations but you as you add more square footage and your value of your home goes up your getter property tax will increase so you'll have higher property taxes and uh, so that's the trade-off is you're getting a nice valuation on the equity in your home but at the same time you're paying higher property taxes and I think that's going to be a problem when I get older is that uh, once I have my house paid off um, that, uh, you know, assuming that inflation continues to climb at two to 3%, which the fed claims, I think it's more like six and a half, but as the, uh, uh, interest rates climb, then your proper taxes will increase. So inflation goes up, taxes go up. And so we'll, we'll pay more in property taxes for that, those properties. Um, real estate is one of those investments that uh, is pretty tricky because you want to you want to buy a property that has long-term value but at the same time you don't want to pay lots of uh, money to uh, for things that cost you like property taxes and hidden fees, like HOA fees and penalties. And HOAs can be very treacherous. They can take you to court. They can require you according to covenants to do certain things. Uh, you're required to maintain uh, your house to a certain level standard. And so all these things can factor in uh, increasing your cost. Um, one of the nice things, though, about an HOA is that uh, it does uh, give you the ability to keep your community looking pretty nice and keeping your house values at a certain level so that if you are to sell your house, that you would get a good, good price for it. So those are some of the defensive reasons to, for an HOA. I've actually found that living in the city was quite a bit more expensive than living in the country. And uh, one of the things, factors if I lived in the country again would be to uh, build a home, 
and make sure that I have natural gas connection to it. Natural gas is a hundred times cheaper than propane. Propane is very expensive. I am always amazed at how the price on propane fluctuates, but I, I did not find living on propane cheap. But one thing I did like when I lived in the country is I had my own well. And so I didn't pay exorbitant fees for uh, well, and then I had my own sewer. So, so I didn't have well and, and water and sewer fees. And uh, that worked out great. So I wanna keep, you know, as I get older, I wanna reduce down my cost and I wanna be able to find the location that uh, is gonna be com comfortable for my wife and I and not too far away from our kids so we can, uh, grandkids so we can see them. But you know, by the time I retire, my grandkids will have been growing up and, uh, and it'll be just my wife and I. So, you know, living in the country uh, wouldn't be so bad.